0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. He
1: also says to gear up, and I like this because it really speaks to us here because we're kind of a military community and we've got military men and women here. So let's look at that if we will, all right? Verse 12 says, The night is almost gone, and it's true, it's almost gone, and the day is near, again referring to the time of Christ. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I don't know, this is not the best illustration, but maybe just a little bit. When I want to gear up and I'm going to put on my armor, I know that I look at some of our military people. They have what we call street clothes, they have their military work fatigues. They also have their dress-up stuff that they wear. And so, when you guys put on your, your stuff, I mean, you are really awesome. you know. And I've done some weddings, and these guys, I mean, they, they, they can't hardly salute because they're so starched. You know what I mean? You know They look sharp. But I also know that they also don't go to battle wearing their Hawaiian street clothes. They also don't often go to battle just wearing fatigues, just fatigues. They also don't wear their get-up, their nice outfits, their dress-up outfits. When they go to battle, they're going to put on everything that's necessary to do two things. To protect them as well as to provide them victory when they go to battle. And that's why the Lord tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we are geared up. And again, let me remind you that we are in a battle. We talk a lot about worship and I I think our church does an awesome job. Our worship team works hard to be able to lead us in worship and they pray through and think through and practice through these songs for us and And they bring me to another level, and I praise the Lord for all of them and and all of that. Yet at the same time, we can be so much in this emotional, euphoric state of worship that we can forget that we are in a warfare, that the enemy is trying to either do the following things, close our mouths for standing up and speaking up for Christ, or number two, muddy our message so bad so that it's either incorrect or so muddy that when we do speak up, it's wrong stuff, and it really blows back against us, or number three, to wreck our lives. And so to keep Satan, I need to put on my armor, I need to be geared up because now I'm waking up, I'm now alive, I'm now in daytime, and every day is a day that something can come against me. I don't want what happens to close my mouth, muddy my message, or wreck my life. And maybe you could look at your life as as I do. Am I giving the gospel as clearly this time as I did it the last time? And when I give this, am I speaking truth? But am I also dipping my arrows in honey before I shoot them? So I'm doing it with a lot of love. So when I share the message, hopefully and prayerfully, it's reaching its mark and it's being received as best as possible from a human perspective. And then I want my life not to then shut down everything that I said. All right? How can I tell people that Jesus satisfies when I have a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other hand? I'm not, you know, speaking against your freedoms in Christ, but I'm just saying make sure that who we are from the inside out and what we do project what we do and what we say so we don't have duplicity and hypocrisy going on. So we want to be geared up in our life, and that's so important for us. So I ask myself, how how do I gear up? For me, this works. Um, Very practical, but it seems to stimulate me. The first thing I have to do, and the passage really talks about it. You know, I, I love this. Therefore, lay aside the deeds So I want to get rid of stuff in my life that seems to be piling up in my life that I've allowed to come into my life underneath the umbrella of what I used to call liberty. And now as I come, I I realize I have that liberty, but with that liberty, I also have the liberty not to do these things if it's going to affect other people. Now let me give you a sidebar, everybody. In the next coming weeks when I'm preaching, we'll have a guest speaker in in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about those very things in our life. How do we decide what's biblical and what's not and what's freedom and what's not? That's part of Romans. Let me go back to here. So I want to get rid of this stuff that has no real, lasting, eternal, necessary value in my life. All right? It doesn't mean that I don't have a life to go to the beach and I can't sometimes uh, go play ball with somebody, That that, That's all right. I don't mean I have to stay in a church on on a pew all 24 hours a day. But it's to let you know I don't want to have things in my life that's going to hinder my growth and someone else's spiritual growth as well. The second thing I want to do, I want to get rid of that. Then I want to get on my knees. Now, physically, that'd be nice but more knees in my heart. The idea is being humble before God. When I come to the Lord, I have to remember He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And while I say He's large and in charge and He's near and dear for a moment, I have to still remember He is large and in a charge. So I come before Him in a really time of prayer. That I really, This is helping me to gear up so that I, I, I find the, the more and the deeper I spend in prayer, the stronger I become in Christ and the less these other things take on importance in my life and the easier it seems that they just kind of come off my life that comes through prayer. Now if you don't mind, let me bare my soul for a moment. I I pray every day. I read through the Bible every year. I I made that commitment to the Lord when I got married to Carol that I would read through the Bible in a year. And marriage has a way to drive you to the Word. Not Carol, but marriage does that. So I've been married 46 years, so I am finished up 46. I'm now going into our 47th year, and I've read through the Bible. Okay, I'll talk about that in a moment. But I don't just read the Bible. I don't just... I very rarely read devotionals, very rarely. I don't have the devotion. I go through that and then have my Bible somewhere. I don't do that. And at the same time, I have to tell you that my prayer life has been pretty much the same. And as Carol and I were leaving to go on our trip this summer... I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I, I, I would like to have some stimulation in my prayer life. I need an injection of something so that I can become stronger because I'm facing a new life. You all know that. You are too. Whatever I'm going, you're going to go through it because of me and together. You got that. Okay, you know what I'm saying. That being the case, I needed to do this. So I said, Lord, would you, would you help me? Then I had a friend out of the blue say, Stan, have you ever read this book? I heard of the author, but I haven't read his book. So what I did is I got on my smartphone, um, because at that time I was in front of my computer, and I did that little Google search for the book, and I found out that I could get the book on my phone for free. I thought, well, that's already a sign of God, you know? Got it for free. And I looked at it, and I went through this book. The book is called The Handbook of Prayer by Ken Boa. Now, I hate to do that because I don't want to put that book over the Bible and what it talks about on prayer. But I want to tell you that God used whatever he gave to that guy on prayer to strengthen my prayer life. Now, that book is so important. has impacted me so much that this year for Christmas, all the deacons and their wives are going to get a copy of that book. Now, whether they go through it, whether they take it and change it and modify it, that's really up to them. Whatever works is what I'm saying. This worked for me. So I'm not jamming it at you. I'm just telling you what's worked for me. I like the book because of how it's set up to release me from having to follow the book like it is some little um, formula for prayer. I like the way it it got me, my mindset, this is just a help, not a crutch. Then it went to how to pray for a month, and they went through eight different stages of prayer, and what I especially liked about it, it says this is the first one, which would be adoration. Then it gave a voluminous amount of verses on adoration, already instructing my mind to make sure my mind on prayer is to be prayer of adoring the Lord. And I had scripture now to support this, so I'm really praying these adoring the Lord verses back to God. At the end of that, it said, now create your own time of praying of your adoration to the Lord. And then it went through all of these. And it did that for three months. Then it gave another set of, for one month, then it did it for seven days, and of course it, was, it kept getting longer and longer. Now you might say, well, Stan, um, um, I don't have time for that. Can I tell you something real, real simple? I don't have time for it either. You have no idea what our life is like, and I'm not saying mine is worse than yours. I'm just saying that I, it's not like I have all day long, like everybody else sitting up in my office, just have nothing else to do, so I'm going to go through books after book. Everything, every moment of my life is, is jammed. That being the case, I had to make time for this. Here's what has happened. It has helped me to settle my spirit down. It's helped me to relate better to other people. It has drawn me to a closer intimacy with the Lord. It has allowed me to release things that I worried so very much about. It has changed me. And it wasn't ken bo. Bu. It was the fact that I was now focused on how to pray more effectively. My armor was not only on, it was on tighter. It was on sharper. It was on cleaner. It was on more consistently in my life. And so now as I go to my next season of life, I've offloaded some of my simple habits that were okay, but I need to put on big boy pants now. You see what I'm saying? And I'm wondering if all of us need to kind of put on some big boy clothes and move forward by offloading so we can have the rest of our life, the best of our life, in our life. Well, I talked about getting rid of some of the stuff we don't need. I also talked about getting on our knees. But there's also one other thing, and I've said a lot about it, but you, you know, the last, get into his word. You, have, you cannot gear up for life if you do not have a love affair for God and his word. You have the living Christ, you have the written Christ, you have God's voice and mind on paper right here. So please get into the word. If you do not have your own Bible, get your own Bible. Get a good study Bible. Bring it to church week. Bring it to every Bible meeting that you have. You carry that Bible with your purse as well as you would your cell phone. Now the time you don't bring it, with your, you probably have your cell phone. You're out someplace. I get all of that. Then get a good Bible app on your phone. So have the Word of God and then read it with the idea of wanting to have the same attitude and the same surrender to the Word as the Word would have for us. So that's the gear up. Let's go to number five. Very similar. We need to clean up our life. We need to pay up, build up, wake up, gear up, and now clean up. Look in verse 13. It says, let us behave properly as in the day. That's because people who live properly in the daytime, people can see what you do. So just like we would live properly in the day, we need to live properly. Then it goes into something very unusual. It has six different things of not to do. And I looked at these six and the way it's laid out in the original language and in many good Bible translations, it looks like it's in couplets of three. There's three couplets, all right? That means there's two and there's three. So let's look at it together, shall we? So it's not to be in this. So if I'm going to live a life and behave properly, then I would not live a life in carousing and drunkenness. So... I, I interpret that very simply for us, because when was the last time you used the word carousingness, carousing and drunkenness? Not not very often. So I put it, it's a life of self-control, self-control, while here it's focusing on you know no orgies or getting drunk or alcohol or drug abuse, those kinds of things. I want you to know it's it's a lot more than that. It has the idea of controlling yourself by the Holy Spirit so that whatever you're doing, it's adding value to yourself, spiritual energy to you, that it's not doing anything that's hindering your effectiveness nor your testimony, and all for the glory of God. So, I want to have a life that has self-control. I don't want to have a life that's carousing and drunkenness. And when I have that, that means the alcohol or whatever is affecting my mind, is, is, it has control over my mind and I don't want to do that and I don't want to carouse. I don't want to go from place to place to place for self-stimulation from external sources so that I feel better. All right. Then it says, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality. So that's a couplet. Sexual promiscuity and sensuality. So I made it real simple for me. I said it's a life of moral purity. Simple moral purity. It's not a life of debauchery. It's not a life that I want to not only live a life of sinfulness, but I want to parade that life. I want to uh, go on uh, crusades about all of this stuff. I want everybody else to have a life of debauchery. I don't want to elevate debauchery in that kind of life. I want to have a life of moral purity. I want to protect my testimony. So I will not get in a car with another woman unless my wife or another man is present. I won't pick up children. I I avoid being alone with a child, even in the building, even if it's during the day and you all are here. I I don't even want to have the, the perception that I'm doing something wrong in my life. I want to make sure my computers are clean, my cell phones are clean. I want to make sure that when I'm not around Carol that I have some kind of accountability. When you send me a text, pretty much she gets the same text that I get so that pretty much we're doing this together. Is that because I have a problem? Watch this, watch this, watch this. It's not because I have a problem. It's because I don't have a problem. You know what I mean by that? By doing that, I don't have a problem. Otherwise, that's the issue. So I don't have a problem because I could have a problem and I don't want to have a problem. When you're real young, <clears throat> 20-something, in most cases, you, you can do something in, in a ministry and you, in most cases and you can get past it. Because you had a long time to grow past that so that people can observe you, that you have really overcome that, you put yourself under accountability and all of that. Not all cases, but in most cases, that's the case. But if I had a moral failure, I'd never be able to get past it in my age the way I am now. Oh, you'd forgive me and all that, but you wouldn't trust me. I can't afford to do that. And if I fell morally, can you imagine what kind of Instability would be thrust upon this church. You'd be scrambling of how do you do this? How do I take care of Stan? You'd be dealing with the argument: Can he be restored? Can you do this? You don't know what to do. Who, what, what happens? Then Dennis takes over, and then he's got to give up some stuff so he can then fill the pulpit. We're trying to find somebody else, and I don't like this. And now they got factions. The church then really crumbles. The lighthouse is now dim. The effectiveness is now gone, and our missionaries are suffering because the finances all because one man decided to get a little tingle. And it's not just me. It's all of us in this room. So that's why we need to clean ourselves up and watch out for that moral impurity. There is never anything done in private that eventually will not be made known in the light. And there's also a third one, and it says here in the passage, and so, so touching in this passage, when it talks about how important we ought to be and how we ought to live. It says, not in strife and jealousy. And so I put the words down here. If my life the rest of it is going to be the best of it then I need to live in harmony in love now harmony uh, doesn't always mean that um, we're going to say exactly the same thing but here it is but on that which is major we will say the same things the things that are minor that we might disagree on we celebrate the differences that the other person has because some people like pepperoni pizza others like anchovy pizza All right, and some of you don't like pizza it doesn't really matter because pizza doesn't mean very much well, to me it does, but maybe to others it's not, all right? The point still being is that we can live in harmony with each other and it comes back to not being jealous. I wish I had time to just preach a message on what jealousy has cost people, families, and nations in Scripture just because of that seed of jealousy. So again, we want to be careful of that and I want to make sure that I clean myself up So I want to have self-control, moral purity, and harmony and love for one another. That's so important. Let me give you the last one and we'll be done for today. I like it. I put down, after we've done all of this, now we need to dress up. To dress up. Here it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. I tell you, my wife is beautiful all the time. But you men will say the same thing about your wife, all right? Those of you who are married, you'll say that, beautiful. But wouldn't you say that when she gets really dolled up, that's a word you don't hear very often, do you? When they really get dolled up, I I don't want to describe what that might be, but, you know, really dolled up, they really look beautiful. I like when my wife gets that opportunity. Here in Hawaii, unfortunately, we don't have very many opportunities to get all dolled up, do we? You know, for us, so you guests that are here, we are dressed up when we tuck in our shirts, okay? When we want to be casual, we take them off, you know? All right. So I'm dolled up. All right, so anyway, back to this. To make no provision for the flesh means basically this. Carol is now dolled up. She's, you know, I was going to say fit to kill, but we don't use that phrase anymore either. All right, she's all dolled up. And so now what I do is she's at the house and I'm going to treat her to some really wonderful, swanky, Waikiki, high-dollar restaurant or something. But I don't want to drive. She's so special. She deserves a limousine. But because I'm frugal with my money, I find the very best way to get her to the airport with the least amount of expense. And I call up my friend, Billy Bob. So Billy Bob comes over and he takes us. Now, the problem with Billy Bob is that Billy Bob is going to take us not in a limousine. He's going to take us in a truck. Well, not really a truck. It's a garbage truck. And it's not just any garbage truck. It's one that he still has the garbage in the back. But it's not just a garbage truck with garbage in the back. It's a garbage truck that has no passenger seats. So now I take Carol to this great thing in a garbage truck in the back, sitting amongst all the crud. And the good news is, Carol would never get in the truck anyway. But the bottom line is this when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, when we trust Christ as Savior, We are clothed, in a sense, with his positional righteousness. And then we need to live as righteously as we possibly can by allowing his righteousness to come out. And so day by day, moment by moment, every time I begin to alertly now face my life, I'm putting on Christ again and again and again like a beautiful garment of love, joy, peace, all of that. Now with all of that, I don't want to make provision for the flesh. So in other words, I don't want to get all dressed up here and then make provision to live in the world of garbage. And so maybe that goes back again to the hypocrisy. We do all the good stuff. We kind of go through our devotions, have our quiet time, go to church, maybe serve in the church, do something like that, which is all great. We're putting on Christ as much as we can. But then when we have Miller time or our time, we make provision for the flesh. And all that does is make things worse. And here's what I found out. If I have a white glove and I have a bucket of mud here and I take that white glove and I shove it into that bucket of mud and I pull it back out again, that doesn't make that bucket of mud like a white glove. But it does make my white glove like a bucket of mud. And so as you face the rest of your life and you want to have it to be the best of your life, let's remember what the Apostle Paul told those brothers and sisters of ours two millennia ago how to have that kind of a life to a church that was drifting into spiritual lethargy. And reminding that you do it not for yourself necessarily. You do it because Jesus Christ is coming again. And so maybe for us it is to pay up, to work harder to get out of debt and stay out of debt. And remember that we'll never be able to pay the debt of love to one another. So we're going to keep on loving and loving and loving and loving and loving and loving, even though we know we'll never pay it up. We're going to build them up. We're going to wake up. We're going to gear up. We're going to clean up. And we're going to dress up for him so we can have the rest of our life as the best of our life. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I really love you all, and I just want you to know, though, that all of the things that I shared today was specifically taught to those who know Christ as Savior. Why? Because Paul did not write this to unbelievers, non-Christians. He wrote this to Christians. He knew that non-Christians would mostly not understand this, And secondly, would definitely not have the power to do this. And so that leaves it up to me now to do what Paul said earlier in the book of Romans, and that is you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be your Savior. If this is something that you sense is a very wise thing to do, you would be very smart. You'd be very smart to say, you know what, these are six things to make the rest of my life the best of my life. But now if you want to add wisdom on top of that wisdom, then admit to him, Lord, I can't do this. I am a sinner. I failed in a lot of different areas. And so you start with this full forgiveness of sin. And so you come to him and humble yourself before the Lord and just simply say, Lord, no good deed I do myself will ever get the forgiveness of sin. And so, Lord, I come to you just as I am and I'm trusting in you for, for, for all of forgiveness. And Jesus then, with a very warm smile, looks upon you and he says, He that believes on me has everlasting life. And you have it right now and you're forgiven. So now you have him in you and with you for the rest of your life, making it the best of your life. And even then, you get the very best of the best when you meet Jesus in heaven. So until then, until he comes, until your salvation is full and completed, first, trust Christ as your Savior. Just simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but the best I know how I'm trusting you to forgive me of all my sin. And he says you have eternal life right then. You're in his family. And now go to him for all the strength and the power and even a greater understanding than what you've gotten today on how to make the rest of your life the best of your life. And as a little side note, I've given you six principles, but I don't want you to think these are the only six. Do these six and bingo, it's all done. This is just six I extrapolated from a portion of scripture. And if these six excite you, Can you imagine what the rest of Scripture can do if you just get into it? I'm just so excited for you and what you can gain. So as we uh, come to this time of prayer, maybe you would like to pray this prayer. And I'm going to give you a suggested prayer, but it's not my words, it's the Spirit. And you take it to the Lord right now, if you're a believer in Christ now. Would you like to say to Him, Lord, I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life whether I have five days, five weeks, or 50 more years. Lord, help me not to get overextended in debt so that all I'm consumed with is the thought of having to pay bills. Sometimes, Lord, I can get so locked into debt that I know I won't be able to be used as effectively as I know you want to use me. I want to get out of those obligations. So, Lord, teach me to love everybody, even those who are different from me. Lord, would you help me to make the most of every opportunity that I have, good or bad? Let me take advantage of the doors that you open and not try to force doors that should never be open. Would you help me with the problem of procrastination and spiritual laziness and putting things off? And I know that good intentions are never going to make it with me. I've actually just got to grow up and do it. Lord, I don't need the luxury of sitting around expecting a better tomorrow. I just got to do what I need to do today and then do that over again tomorrow and the next day after that. So Lord, help to gear me up. Let me get ready for the battle. Satan wants to defeat me and he'll do it through tempting me, but I know that with you I can have victory. I'm on the winning side. So Lord, help me to get rid of what I don't need. Help me to get on my knees. Help me to get into your word. Father, help me to maintain a pure lifestyle, a lifestyle of self-control and moral purity, and not just in what I do, but the things in life that are filled with harmony and love. So, Lord, I don't want to cause dissension. I don't want to cause dissension between my wife, my family, my fellow workers, my team members, my classmates, or my church people, my brothers and sisters, and my faith family. Teach me to learn to think like you and to see life the way you see it. Help me have a biblical, Christ like worldview. You.
0: You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible.